Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Thursday, August the 17th, 2023. It is currently 1126 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. It's law and gospel time, but it's law and gospel time, and I don't like when it's law and gospel time this way, because as you know, we have been reviewing episodes of Issues ETC as they continue to do their own series on, on the proper distinction between law and gospel. But because it's a radio program, they obviously have commercials. So we are reviewing the audio in between the commercials, right? These little small segments. And so we have now the smallest segment of all to review. This is less than eight minutes long. This is probably like seven minutes long, maybe maybe six minutes. It's very, very small. There's not going to be a lot here. And I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate when we get to this segment, but it's the way this is kind of designed. Hopefully it will be beneficial. Now, sadly, the last few episodes of our Law and Gospel Redo we were continuing our work on the proper distinction between law and gospel. I don't think they've been great, but I do know this. In the last episode, I told all of you to go to theologycentral.net, go to the blog section, and do what? Does anybody know what I told you to do? Look at session six of the Council of Trent. I told everyone to go read it. Session six of the Council of Trent. Read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. Now, I thought I was going to get all kinds of emails with questions and questions and questions. I didn't, I didn't receive anything. I, please go read the Council of Trent. Please, not the whole council, just session six. At least the canons of it, right? The canons is where you get the anathemas. And look, well, first of all, there's no question they anathematize the gospel, but there's some things that they say that to me, if anyone is paying attention to the evangelical world, I, I will say it over and over and over. Much of the evangelical mind, even though they may say they're not Catholic and they disagree with Catholicism, well, a lot of times when they talk about the gospel and they bring in the law so much to the gospel that in reality, you can see they were more influenced by Catholicism than they were from the Reformation. They would say, no, 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 that's not true. But they used Reformation language, but they bring in Catholic ideology by inserting the law here and the law here and the law this and the law that and the law this and the law that, and they confound law and gospel. I cannot stress that enough. So please go read it again. Go to theologycentral.net. Go to the blog section. It's right there for you. I, I have it all right there for you. And uh, consider it, meditate on it, and think about it, all right? So that was one positive thing that came from this. So maybe we'll do some more work on the Council of Trent. Uh, at least that session, maybe we will, but I want you, I want, you know, I could, I could try to do something now, but I want to, I want to get done with this audio, right? And also, last night at Victory Baptist Church, we were in Jeremiah chapter 21. And Jeremiah chapter 21, you have verses, I just think the whole chapter, just read the whole chapter 
Jeremiah 21, but focus carefully on verses 7 through 10. Jeremiah 21, verses 7 through 10. I think it's a beautiful picture of how if you want salvation, you have to leave the security of this. I'm going to, I'm going to say the security of good works, the security of self-righteousness, the security of your own practical righteousness. You've got to leave that as security and you've got to go to the one who is going to bring wrath and condemnation to you and fall before them fall before God and rely on his mercy and rely on him to give you the righteousness which he demands. And he gives that to you through imputing the righteousness of Christ to your account, not infusing it. I think it's a beautiful picture of that. So go listen to the sermon from last night. I'm not super uh, happy with the sound quality. We got to do a little bit of testing and see if we can get that a little bit better. But... um, yeah, it was preached last night, Jeremiah chapter 21. So uh, also consider that. A part of me wanted to start today by just working on Jeremiah 21 here now, but we we got to finish this, the audio we have to review here. We, we have to. So if you remember, we're in thesis number five. We're utilizing the book, God's No and God's Yes, The Proper Distinction Between Law and Gospel by C.F.W. Walther. Everyone should have a copy of this book. Everyone should read this book. Issues ETC, they're using the same book, and we're in thesis number five. And thesis number five reads like this. The first manner of confounding law and gospel is the one most easily recognized, and it is the grossest. It is the crudest. It is adopted, for instance, by the papists, the Socinians, the rationalists, and consists in this that Christ is represented as a new Moses or lawgiver and the gospel is a, is turned into a doctrine of meritorious works. While at the same time, those who teach that the gospel is the message of free grace of God in Christ are condemned and anathematized as is done by the papist, which was done at the Council of Trent in session six. So you should look at it for yourself. Now, we've talked about this thesis now multiple times. Sadly, Issues ETC, this has probably been the sloppiest, the most I'm just perplexed and how they've approached this thesis. At times, it's been a little perplexing and we've been kind of left with, what is that? But remember, that's the way these audio reviews work, right? I don't listen to them in advance because if I did that, then my critique would be rehearsed and I don't like that. So it's real time. So are you ready? We've got their last segment. They just talked about the Council of Trent. I wanted you to read the Council of Trent. I've given you now Jeremiah 21. Read it, read it, read it, read it, read it, read it. All right. We'll talk about it on another podcast. But for now, we got about five minutes of audio to review. It's going to go quick. Let's see if it's good. Let's see if we can get something from it. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. Pastor Will Whedon is our guest, formerly served as Director of Worship for the Lutheran Church of Missouri Synod, and he's author of the books, Celebrating the Saints, Thank, Praise, Serve, and Obey, and See My Savior's Hands. It's our fifth part in our series on the proper distinction between law and gospel. 
He takes another objection up, and that is quoting Christ from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 and following, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says they claim that Christ also lays burdens on us. Yeah. And uh, he says they interpret the remark of Christ you have heard that it was said by them of old time, that that refers to Moses. But Walter explains what Christ really means is this. Your elders have taught you by their traditions that you are keeping the law when you refrain from the gross acts prohibited by the law. But then he proceeds to expound to them the true meaning of the law. Luther concurs with that in his glosses on the Gospel of Matthew. Those are greatly in error who interpret the yoke of Christ in this passage to mean the so-called evangelical law, that is, commands issued by Christ. In the opinion of the Romanists, the gospel and the evangelical law are synonymous. They turn it into the new law. Luther proceeds in expounding this. That's very important. So he says many evangelicals, many, many Christians have interpreted this in a very Catholic way. So come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, that labor and the heavy laden, some will interpret that as the law of Moses. Hey, you've labored, you're heavy laden, and you're ne- and and you you need desperate you need desperate rest. Or Walter Walter goes more with the idea. Hey, that's what your the your your father has taught you. But in either way, they're burdened by something. And I'm gonna. I think it makes more sense that they're burdened by the law. They're they're absolutely burdened by the law, and they don't know what to do. And Jesus says, "I will give you rest. Come and take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light." Some interpret that yoke is now he's going to give you his laws. But those laws would not be light and easy. Though that yoke would not, that yoke would be even more difficult because Jesus really expounds the true meaning of the law and demands perfection, not just externally, but internally. So what is this yoke? How is Walter going to interpret the yoke here? What, what, well, let's find out. Text. The sophists have been at great pains to show that the yoke of Christ is easier than the yoke of Moses, spite of their belief that Moses had prohibited merely the external act, while Christ's injunction, even on every useless word that men utter, goes on in the heart by their contention that the yoke of Moses has been easier for the reason stated. The sophists, to whom Luther was referring, meant to prove that in the Old Testament, people were saved by the law because it was not hard to keep. The law in the gospel, they say, is easy only insofar as it has abolished things like circumcision and the ceremonial ordinances. But the yoke and the burden which Christ speaks of is nothing else than the cross, which his followers bear from love of him. And he has this really marvelous conclusion to this. He says, the power of Christ is marvelous in his saints. For by faith in the hearts of these men, Christ changes death into laughter punishment into joy, and hell into heaven. For those who believe in him, laugh to scorn all those ills which worldly and carnal minds dread and flee and abominate. That is what Christ calls a pleasant yoke and a light burden, namely to bear the cross joyfully, even as Paul did, who can say, we glory in tribulations. I don't know here. What is the yoke that Christ says to take? 
Now, he's saying it's the cross, that we take up and bear the cross. But is that a is that a yoke that is easy and a burden that is light? Taking up the cross, that's an instrument of 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 capital punishment. That's an instrument of death. You when you take up the cross, you're dying to yourself. Is that is that the easy part? Are we taking up the cross in a way that we are saying that we are identifying with Christ or in Christ? What is this yoke that we are to take upon ourselves? What is the yoke? What is the yoke? That, that, that's what I want you to work on today. It's a, it's a simple task, right? I told you to read the Council of Trent. I don't know if you did that. Here is your yoke. So here is your yoke. Here is your responsibility today. All right. So Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That has to be referring to people who are laboring and heavy laden under the law. I do believe that's the law. I, I do. Take upon, take me, uh, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart and I shall, f- and you shall find rest unto yourselves for my yoke is easy. What is this yoke? What do you think it is? I'm going to just do a quick, I'm going to do a quick search really quick here. All right. I'm going to go, that's Matthew eleven twenty nine. I'm just going to do a, I'm going to do a quick search here. I think this is, see, now we did get something interesting here. See, we, we got something interesting here. I don't have a definitive answer. I know how I've answered it in times past, but you know, I always try to ignore past learning in a present situation. All right. Every translation says yoke. So we don't have a, a translation issue here. Um, okay. All right. So this commentary. The yoke, as the teaching of the Pharisee was a yoke, too grievous to be born. So they, they don't say the yoke that the, the, the thing that was causing them to be burdened and heavy laden. This commentary doesn't believe that was the law. That was the teaching of the Pharisee. And it was a yoke too grievous to be born. So the yoke of Christ is his teaching, his rule of life, and is so explained by learn of me. Now is his law or is his rule of life better? Now it depends on what you mean by his rule of life. If you if if what he means is, hey, look, I I still think it's the I still think the first part is the law. Come unto me, all you that are laboring heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Maybe it's under the Pharisees, but I think the Pharisees are pointing them to Moses' law, and it condemns and it condemns. So could it be that Christ is saying, take my yoke upon you and learn of me? I am meek and lowly, for my yoke is easy. And the yoke that he places upon you is the yoke of the good news. I have done it for you. It is Christ's teaching of life, and it is you can't I did take my yoke upon you and you will find rest because my yoke is my finished work for you on your behalf. That seems to make a little bit more sense to me. All right. Um, now here we go. Now, now this, this is another commentary. Take my yoke upon you for there is work to be done. Therefore enter on it. The yoke is the service that Christ gives us to do and therefore implies more than his teaching. So they are saying they, this one says my yoke isn't his teaching. All right. And I believe it's, a, if it's his teaching, then Christ is teaching you. I have done it for you. Rest in me. They're saying, no, no, no. It's service. Christ is like, take my yoke. And get busy. But is that, does that bring rest? 
That's just you now having to, that's putting you right back under a performance kind of basis. I, I, I don't know if that works. Let's go to another commentary. Uh, let's go to another commentary. Um, let's see, what do we have here? Uh, okay, now this one, take my yoke upon you. Believe in and obey me. Hearken to me as a teacher. Rely on me as a savior and be subject to me as a governor. All right, so this one is more like, hey, obey. Believe in, taking his yoke is to trust and obey. There's no better way you have to obey, right? Okay, all right. I'm, I know I'm kind of messing that up a little bit, but you get the idea. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't know how much rest you're going to find there. All right. Um, all right, so now this one, take my yoke. They once again say it is. Uh, it signifies labor, so labor, you're gonna, you're gonna work, 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 work. Okay. Uh, it, it, take my yoke. It's subjection to Jesus. Hey, you gotta, you gotta submit. Um, okay. Now take my yoke. This is what they say. Uh, this is Gill's exposition of the entire Bible. The phrase is rabbinical. The Jewish doc, the Jewish doctors often speak of the yoke of the kingdom of heaven and of persons taking upon them and they exhort to express in much such language. Take upon the yoke of the holy kingdom every day. They distinguish this from the yoke of the law and say, a man must first take upon him the yoke of the kingdom of heaven. After that, take upon him the yoke of the commandments. Their sense I take to be this, that a man must first make a profession of faith in the God of Israel, then live comfortably to his, conformably to his law. Agreeable to this, Christ exhorts such persons who come to him for rest and happiness to profess their faith in him and embrace the doctrines of the gospel, submit to his ordinances and walk according to those laws. I'm sorry, there, you're not going to find any rest. None of, none of those things are going to offer rest. I don't know how Christians can't see that. Hey, stop worrying about that law. Now listen to Christ and obey him. There's no rest in that. You're going to fall short over and over and over and over. I'm going to interpret this way. Hey, if you're out there and you're laboring and you're heavy laden under the law, under the teaching of the Pharisees, which keeps putting the law upon you and you're beaten down and you're, you're struggling and you're full of anxiety and you're broken and you can't carry the load anymore because you just can't live up to it. Christ says, take my yoke upon you. And his yoke is take upon you my finished work. Rest in my finished work. The yoke you're going to carry now is it's done for me. Christ is my all. He is my righteousness. He is my sanctification. He is my wisdom. He is my redemption. He is, he is my obedience. He is everything. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's easy and light because he did it all for me. Now, I put on the yoke of Christ. Christ, in a sense, is my yoke. I am yoked to him. I am in Christ. I am connected to him, united with him, and therefore, all the demands of the law are met by him. Therefore, I find true rest. Anything else is not rest. Now, I, you may not agree with my interpretation there. I understand that. You're going to, you're going to, many of you are going to be like, nope, you got to do something. You got to do something. You got to do something. You got to obey. I'm sorry. 
You're not going to find any rest because you're never going to obey, especially the commandments of Christ, because it demands, he demands perfection internally and externally, not just external. You're not going to find rest. You, you, you can tell me what you think. Let's, let's continue. Now, he does note that, you know, if things are going real easy for you in this world, that's kind of a dangerous, spiritual dangerous place to be. So he says the Savior has taken the precaution of putting the cross upon Christians. Whenever a Christian professes the faith by word and deed, people become hostile to him. Even where the enmity is not manifested publicly, it's... This is shocking that you would think the cross is a light and easy burden. To take up your cross means to die to self. There's nothing light and easy. You don't find rest in being crucified daily by taking up the cross. I don't know how you can make that like, hey, listen, good news, everyone. You don't have the law of Moses, but you get this nice and easy yoke and it's called the cross and you're going to die to yourself. And by doing that, you're going to find it to be easy and the burden is going to be light. That makes absolutely no sense to me. It makes no sense to me. All right, let's continue. It's going to still be noticeable and it's going to vex him, not a little. But how many have had to lay down their lives for Christ? And yet, how light the burden of Christ is compared with that of the law. Feeling the burden of the law, a person will groan, Oh, I am the most miserable of man. It makes him despondent. It fills him with despair. But look at the martyrs. Look at how they died. They go to death singing their hallelujahs. They did not go weeping and wailing to their execution. They met their martyr's fate with joy and exultation. And then the words of Christ were fulfilled. My yoke is easy. And my burden is light. If you're going to contrast the yoke of Christ to the law, then that has to be the gospel. It has to be the good news of the finished work. Take upon the yoke of Christ. Christ, in a sense, is my yoke. And in him, it's light and easy because he finishes it all for me. If you're going to contrast the law with now I take upon the cross and I'm going to be martyred or I'm going to die or I'm going to suffer or I'm going to die to self— That's just more work and struggle and there's no, it's not light, it's not easy, and there is definitely no rest. I I think you have to make the yoke somehow, the gospel in some way, shape, or form. And Christ is it. I I take upon Christ and, and then his finished work is mine. Therefore, it's light and easy. I mean, some of those early stories of how the martyrs died is just, uh, they're rife with this joy that they just sort of danced through the sufferings towards Christ himself, who was waiting to meet them. Then at the very tail end of this lecture, Walter adds, I pray God that my addressing these talks to you may not be labor misspent. Do apply what I say to yourself to advance you in your Christianity is the paramount object of these evening lectures. He wanted them to grow as Christians, and he knew that they would only be able to grow as Christians if they were able to distinguish the law from the gospel. So he devotes so much time to it. How would you summarize what Walter has introduced so far in 
treating this what he called the most crude and obvious way of mixing law and gospel. I'm going to go right back to Todd Wilkin and say, there is a saying you used to have, if you have Jesus plus, that's not gospel. And what, what, what Walter is after here is having a Jesus plus, some action that you do, some moral law laid on you that is going to be what saves you. Nope, that's not the way it works with the Lord, not when you're keeping law and gospel straight. And next time, he's going to round this off and go into another thesis, but he does deal briefly with how this kind of false gospel can never bring true certainty. What are your thoughts there with about a minute? No, that's up. Anytime you're running uh, the anthropocentric reference into the, to the question of salvation, have I enough? Have I believed enough? Have I given enough? Have I loved enough? You're dealing with the law, and it will rob you of all certainty. The question is, has Christ paid the price of your failures in full, and has he given you a righteousness which no law can accuse? Is it yours? Has it been laid on you in baptism? Then you have certainty. Then you have joy. Then, and only then, you have peace. Has Christ laid on you a righteousness that no law can accuse? You may want to write that down. Has Christ given to you a righteousness that no law can accuse? And I say he has, and it is yours by faith. He imputes it to your account. So no no law can accuse. So the next time some lordship salvation or some well-meaning Christian says, well, wait, 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 you got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this to prove that you're saved. Here's MacArthur's 11 point test. Here's Jonathan Edwards 12 point test. Whoever gives you the test, you say, thank you for all of that law. But your law cannot accuse me, but Christ has given me a righteousness that no law can accuse because all of those tests given by MacArthur and all of those other people, guess what? Christ fulfilled and passed all of those tests for me. My hope is not passing tests that men write or they try to extract from the, from the Bible. They take from the Bible because they're giving you law. The law does demand these kinds of actions. The law does demand that I love my neighbor. The law does demand that I love God. The law does demand that I love scripture. The law does demand that I meditate on scripture day and night. The law does demand that I pray without ceasing. I will never in any way, shape, or form ever deny that the scripture demands all of that. But the only way it will be fulfilled is not in me trying, but in Christ doing. Christ did it. And Christ, I have the righteousness. His Christ gives me a righteousness that no law can accuse. You may accuse me. And you may be right in accusing me. Going, you committed that sin, that sin, that sin, that sin, that sin. And you will be perfectly right. Because I probably have or thought about it. But in Christ... I have it, and it's all been fulfilled for me. Now you say, well, then does that excuse your sin? I'm not saying it excuses my sin. 
Not saying it excuses it in any way, shape, or form. It's wrong. I should be broken over it. I should be humbled by it. And I should always be moving to grow and move towards godliness. But I know this. It doesn't call into question my salvation because my salvation is not based on what I do. It's based on what Christ did. And for some reason, Christians love to have some kind of test where they can go around going, I don't think so-and-so is saved. I don't think so-and-so is saved. I don't think so-and-so is saved. They don't do, If you don't do this, if you don't do that, because we sound like, I don't know, the Roman Catholic Church at the Council of Trent. Christ gives you a righteousness that no law can accuse. It's called an imputed, not infused. It's a credit to, to you. And it's by faith alone. That's the distinguishing mark. This is the distinguishing doctrine between Roman Catholicism and everyone else. The sad part is the everyone else has abandoned it and tried to go back to Rome. We just don't want the Pope. We want to be the Pope, but we still want a more law-based system, even though we claim that it's a gospel-based system, lying to ourselves and lying to everyone else. And therefore, we put them under a burden where they have to labor and work and never can know if they're truly saved, never know if they're good enough, and they find no rest. But Christ says, hey, come to me, take upon my yoke. And what is my yoke? My finished work. Take that upon you. Take me. And guess what? You can you 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 can have uh, rest. You can you can you can have peace because I've taken care of everything for you. Now let's finish this up. Pastor Will Whedon is assistant pastor at St. Paul Lutheran Church. Well, that was the end. Right? That's the end. See that 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 wasn't even five minutes. I don't think. There's four minutes of audio left, and they're already done. So now it's all of their commercials. So there you have it. That wraps up thesis number five. I'm going to read the end of thesis number five, or the paragraph, um, where Walther concludes his discussion of thesis number five. Are you ready? Here's the last paragraph. You ready? Soak this in. Here we go. In various places in their confessions... The papists explain that many laws were uttered by Christ of which Moses knew nothing. For instance, the law to love our enemies, the law not to seek private revenge, the law not to demand back what has been taken from us, etc. All these matters the papists declare to be new laws. That is wrong. For even Moses said, you shall love, you shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might, Deuteronomy 6, 5, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, 18. Now, Christ did not abrogate the law of Moses, but neither did he publish any new law. He only opened up the spiritual meaning of the law. Accordingly, he says in Matthew 5, 17, think not that I've come to destroy the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. That means he did not come to issue new laws but to fulfill the laws for us so that we may share his fulfillment. Christ came to fulfill the law. I want you to write down that verse, Matthew 5, 17. He did not come to destroy it. He, could, he did not come to make it go away. He came to fulfill it. 
And if Christ fulfilled the law and in a sense, his yoke is upon you, you are in Christ. Guess what, ladies and gentlemen, then the law has been fulfilled for you. No one can take passages of scripture that are law and say, you got to do this. You got to do this. You say, no, it's already been done. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been done. Back off. It's been done. It's been done perfectly by Christ. Now, see, many people say, oh, no, that's antinomianism. Now you're saying you can do whatever you want. No, I'm saying it's been done for me. Now, my job, yes, as a Christian, I am to, the law gives me a moral standard in which I am to pursue. It tells me and it constantly shows me my failure and how much I still need Christ and it should humble me. I should seek holiness. I should seek righteousness because I'm trying to seek Christ. But you can't use it to judge my salvation. My salvation is based off the fulfillment of the law for me. So you can't use the law to prove whether I'm saved or not saved, because if you use the law to prove that, I'm going to point you to Christ and he's going to say, it's all been fulfilled for this person because by faith, my fulfillment of the law is this person, whoever they are, you, me, whoever it may be. So every scripture that tells you to do something, that's law. And you should say, I should, I must, but I don't. Thank you, Christ, for doing it for me. Now I rest in that. I, I Now I rest. The burden is easy and you are meek and I can rest and I can find peace. Now, Lord, convict me and help me daily, every single day. I'm going to do what I can to move forward in godliness, not away from godliness, out of gratitude, love, respect, and honor for all that you have done for me. That concludes thesis number five of God's No, God Yes by C.F.W. Walther. We will move to thesis number six the next time we are together. Remember your assignment. Please read session six of the Council of Trent. And I would like for you to spend much time meditating on Jeremiah 21 because there's a beautiful picture. The people who stay within the city, they're going to die. What, how do you live? Leave the city, leave the security, leave all that you have and just go give yourself, fall into the one who's bringing God's judgment. Don't, don't cling to all of these things for some kind of hope or security. Leave your security of self-righteousness. Leave your security of law keeping. Leave the security you think you have in what you do and don't do and simply run and fall before the one who would bring judgment, which is God, and say, I, I trust and believe in your son, Jesus Christ. And then all that God demands, he gives to you and Christ. And then you have rest and then you will live. Read Jeremiah 21. It's, I think it's a beautiful picture. You may not. I think it is. Because there's something more going on in that historical narrative, but read it. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Then you can give me, uh, well, all of your opinions and thoughts and feedback. Love to hear from you. Uh, someone sent me a very, very, very nice email about, hey, I may not always email you and tell you, give you know, give you feedback, but thank you. You know, your teaching is great. It's awesome. And hey, to that person, thank you very much. Um, I greatly, that, that, those kind of emails, super, they, they encourage me and they tell, they, they motivate me to come back up here and get in front of the microphone and do more work. So thank you very much for taking the time and for everyone else who's uh, emailed me, 
everyone, everyone. Uh, the the person from Ohio who sent sent us a check. Um, I don't know how many weeks ago we got it, um, and we greatly appreciate that. It's very very helpful. And uh, and and that person, what they do is they send me a check directly and say I can use it any way I need, any way I want. And they have helped me so many times uh, when we've needed something or you know there's a something we got to do with a car or something you know some kind of just like expense here and they have helped cover so many expenses that way and uh, I very much and the fact they take the time to write a check and send the check they um I'm very grateful and and they 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 always give me freedom to do whatever I feel is necessary for it so I am very appreciative of that person uh for doing that so thank you all right thanks to everyone else for listening everyone have a great day we definitely will be back and do something else here shortly. Well, I don't know when. Some point today. Thanks for listening. God bless.